Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions, like why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. At 28... Gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. You know, my girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a beamer, and I was so unhappy. It was a realization maybe that I would I would never find happiness where I was looking for. so many years, you know, I always just strive to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I found purpose, I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken and made it a beautiful art piece. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. No, no question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. We are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith and meaning. Friends, I want to invite you to Alpha. Now, you probably received an email from me. I think everybody in the church and everybody not in the church has received an email from me recently about Alpha. Respond to it. Just say yes, maybe, or no. I prefer yes. Uh, but you, why would you want to attend Alpha? Well, because you can talk about life's most, most important questions. You may have a friend or loved one who doesn't know Jesus yet, but they want to talk about faith. Invite them. They may not come to church, but they'll come to Alpha. Alpha is, we watch a video together, but before we even do that, we sit down and have a meal together and get to know one another. It's a catered meal, and it's nice. I mean, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., you want to be there. You should have received a card when you came in. There's even a sign-up sheet in the back. We are hitting this from all angles. Friend, I want you to come to Alpha if you've never come. It will strengthen your faith if you're already a believer, but it can bring people to faith. It's the Holy Spirit that brings people to faith, but he uses Alpha. So invite somebody. I want you to think just for a moment, who will I invite? Just think for a moment. Invite that person this week. Take one of these cards. Now, I, uh, I love Alpha, obviously, but we can't talk about Alpha all day. 
Uh, we actually have a special guest speaker, Pastor Steve Tomlinson. He is here to share the word with us. So I know you've heard him preach before. He's a great preacher. You're going to love him. Um, and he actually really likes Alpha, too. So uh, if you want to welcome Pastor Steve, come on up, Steve. And don't forget, you can drop those cards into the offering plate as they come by a little bit later. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. It is good to be with you today, and I am delighted to be at Limbrook. For me, it's a real treat to be here, and so it's uh, fun to see some familiar faces, and I've gotten to know some of you over our time of partnership from Shelter Rock Church. And today we're going to continue our series, The Way of the Kingdom. And if you recall, Pastor Nathan had that really upbeat message of the way of self-denial last week. Well, we're going to continue that, that upbeat theme, and today is the way of surrender, the way of surrender. And at first, you might say, I'm not sure I like where this is going, but you know, as you yield yourself to following Jesus, you're going to find that you are on the best life ever, an adventure. Today is a special day for me personally, September 25th, 20 years ago, I was on this day. I was voted in as the senior pastor of what at the time was called Manhasset Baptist Church. It became Shelter Rock Church, but at that time it was Manhasset Baptist Church. That was a scary moment for me and my family. I had received a phone call out of the blue in July saying, we are a church in Long Island. We understand that you are from Long Island, although now you're in Illinois, ministering at a church, would you consider being our senior pastor? Out of the blue. And I found out why they did this. When they needed a pastor, they they put some advertisements out, and what they ended up with was 200 resumes from unemployed pastors. And so they thought, we want somebody who's happily employed. And they asked around for New Yorkers that might be willing to come back to New York. And I was one of them. And so I began a conversation, and it was a little scary. Is God going to call us to New York again? I asked every board member of the church I was at. All nine of them said, Steve, we think this is probably what God is calling you to do. I asked all my children, what do you think of mommy and daddy moving back to New York? And my, my older two who could communicate, 12 and 10, they said, Dad, it sounds like it's a really cool thing. And I'm like, wow. If God is convincing my kids to move to New York, maybe this is an open door. And so two months from the time that phone call came in July to September 25th, um, when I was voted in to be senior pastor, that was one of those moments, am I willing to surrender to where the Lord leads? Now, today is special on another level. So I arrive in New York. And at my very first board meeting, here's what the elders say to me. A lot of our young people are going to this church plant on the South Shore. We're very concerned about this. And I said to them, I'm not familiar with this church plant, but I can tell you the fact that our young people are still going to church is a good thing. So don't be so angry and upset about it. But now I wanted to find out What is this young church plant? Because I have always loved church planters. They have a sense of vision. They have a sense of passion. They definitely have a sense of surrender to the will of God. So I looked up this guy, and I give him a call. His name is Brian. 
I said, Brian, can I take you to lunch? And he said, sure, I'd love to. And he told me about his church. It was called No Greater Love Fellowship. And he was 23 years old, full of dreams and visions. And there he is. He is a community of about 50 people, 50 people. And he turns to me and says, Steve, I just want to let you know, this church will be the largest church in Long Island. And I'm like, wow, the chutzpah on this guy. But you know what I said to him? I'm going to give you a run for your money. His church had 50. At the time, Shelter Rock had 400. Now, we've moved forward through time, and, and we grew, and he grew, but it was the Easter before the pandemic. I am doing the Easter service at Long Island University, Tillis Center in a post campus, and it was the best Easter ever. There were 3,000 people who came. Now, in reality, there were 2,967, but I'm a pastor, so we always round up. It's a principle of being a pastor. But anyway, we had 3,000 people there, and I quickly texted Brian, how many did you have at your Easter? And he had 3,600 people. He had finally passed me. And I said, I hate you. <laughs> Not really. But in that moment, it was, we've been friends all these years. The reason I'm telling you this story is because today, right now, Centerpoint Church, which is what that church changed their name to, and Pastor Brian McMillan is having their 20th anniversary at Long Island University Tillis Center celebrating 20 years of what God has done. And he became the largest church on Long Island. I have to hand it to him. But why I share this story is because when I met him, 23-year-old guy who surrendered to the Lord, last night I texted him and said, hey, hey, Brian, I'm praying for you tomorrow. It's a special day. And he said, Steve, I appreciate that. But I think I'm at the halfway point of my ministry, pray that I finish well. And he's so right. We've seen the pastors that have fallen by the wayside, and he has a good 20 years left, maybe you know much more. Who knows what the Lord has in store? But the bottom line is I saw a young man who surrendered to follow Jesus wherever Jesus led him. And that is our desire today. Would we, when Jesus calls you and, and you, say, Father, wherever Jesus leads, I will go. I will follow the one who wears the sandals. That's my desire. So, 16 years old, I am at a retreat sponsored by Youth for Christ, and the leader of this retreat was somebody many of you know, Jack Crabtree. He was working uh, full-time with Youth for Christ at the time. And at this retreat, this 16-year-old felt a defining call to ministry. Now, it was an exciting feeling. I had a great a grandpa who was a pastor and a great-grandpa who was a pastor. My dad worked for the Law and Railroad, but, you know, I felt like, wow, I feel like God is calling me to, to ministry. But it's age 16. Who knows what's going to happen? But moving forward... I'm now in Stony Brook University, and I'm in a band. In fact, I am a rock and roll lead singer. 
And in fact, let me show you a, a picture of what I looked like. If you can go to that slide, there I am. I'm the guy on the right. And if you look at the expression on my face, you can see the joy of the Lord resonating through. And I say that sarcastically. But I want to tell you a story about this picture because I know what I'm singing in this picture. At that time in my life, there was a music group that was just coming into ascendancy. They had released their first album in 1979, and the album was called Boy, and the group was called U2. The guy you see next to me is a guy who is now known mostly as Bono. At this time, he went by Bono Vox, which is Latin for good voice. And that was what was on the Boy album. But the word in the street was that the guys, three of the guys in U2 were believers. And he sang a song on that first album, Boy, which meant a lot for me, because here I am, a young man wanting to follow Jesus anywhere. And then I heard the song on the radio, and we incorporated it into our repertoire on the band. And the lyrics go like this. I was on the outside when you said you said you needed me. I was looking at myself. I was blind. I could not see. And it goes on to say, I was on the inside when you tore the four walls down. I was looking through a window. I was lost. I am found. If you walk away, walk away. I walk away, walk away. I will follow. If you walk away, walk away. I walk away, walk away. I will follow. And that passion you see in my face is because I genuinely desired to follow Jesus anywhere. And I don't know if Bono wrote those lyrics intentionally to speak to Jesus, but I sang them as somebody singing to the Lord. I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I want to follow the man who wears the sandals because I am convinced that even if it means surrendering a lot of things that I wanted to do in my life, following him will be the best life. Now, I'm going to ask for a miracle from God right now. The miracle is this, that people who are thinking about, what are we going to have for lunch today? What do we have to do on Monday? What are we going to... We'll focus in for just a few minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to open our ears and eyes and hearts to receive from him what we need. Would you bow your heads and pray? Father, we're asking for that miracle. Would you do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine to open our hearts, to open our ears, to open our eyes, to receive from you that which your spirit is going to communicate to us. May in the end, your son, Jesus, our Lord, receive all the honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it now to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 18 and following. It's a short section. It is Jesus calling Peter and Andrew, James and John. And so opening our Bibles, looking at the passage, here's what we read. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I look at this passage, and I am immediately struck by they just left and followed Jesus? I mean, if you get your mind into this, that is pretty incredible. Just leave everything and follow this person. I don't know if there's anybody who could say that to one of you. Maybe you wanted to have an internship with somebody incredible, and that person hunts you down and says, do your internship, but you have to leave now. Would you do it? And apparently, this was what was happening. Now, something that they would have in their culture, which we cannot appreciate, is if you were an Orthodox Jew and a rabbi says, I would like you, yes, I'm looking at you, to be my student, follow me. That would be one of the most honorable things imaginable. And so they said, yes, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, I still think of that as hard to believe. But in this process of being called, we learn some things of what it means to surrender, what it means to follow the one who wears the sandals, what it means to follow Jesus. And the first thing I I notice is that it means that I need to hold on to my things and my people loosely in my life. Now, I want to give you an image. Uh, There's a picture of a beach. You can put that beach up there now. This is from Kibbutz En Gev on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Anyone have the chance to go by the Sea of Galilee? You ponder when you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, and you're like, I cannot believe all the things that happened here. You think of Jesus riding on a boat with his disciples. You think of the conversations they had. Do you remember when Jesus comes walking out on the water? It's like, this happened here. Or the time when he speaks and wind and waves obey. So my wife and I were were sitting on this beach and just looking out and caught up with all the things that happened here. But on this particular beach, at a particular time, Jesus comes and says to these disciples, come follow me. And what the first thing that they are having to confront is, as I just mentioned before, is they needed to hold their things loosely, their possessions, and the people loosely in their life. Because Jesus says, come on, and what do we read in the text? They left their fishing nets behind. That's their livelihood. This is how they fed themselves. This is how they took care of themselves and, and then the next thing I noticed, did you see in that little section where it talks about Peter and, uh, excuse me, uh, James and John? They leave dad sitting on the boat. I mean, what does dad think about this when his two sons are now going to follow this rabbi? Well, you know what? We actually have a little insight what Zebedee problem we thought. On the one hand, he's thinking, I've got a problem. How am I going to take care of this fishing business But the other part, because he is an Orthodox Jew in all probability himself, he probably had immense pride that his sons were called by a rabbi to be students. So there is a mixed bag of feelings that he's going through at that time, in that moment, 
But we look and say, and here's the question, could I surrender my stuff if God called me to do this? Because there is that time where you are confronted by all the things that we have. And I was pausing in my own life. I sometimes think that we depend on God more when we have very little than we have more stuff. And and there is a place in our life where we have to come to grips with, I need to let go at all stages of my life to follow the Lord where he might lead. I have a dear friend at the Shelter Rock Church, and he came to me one day. I've had the chance to travel to different parts of the world with him. He, he, He loves missions. But I noticed he was driving a very simple Ford. I said, John, I, I just have to point out, you never drive Fords. You know, this was a BMW guy, you know, all nice cars. And he said, Steve, I used to get all my cars at Raleigh Motors. You know, what is time? You know, like two years go by, time for a new car. Get another great car. And the Lord said to me, John, you can drive perfectly fine in a nice new average car and give the rest of that money to missions. And I wanted to obey. And so that was his choice. Now, we who might not have as much resources might not be as impressed, but I was really impressed because a lot of people don't make that kind of choice. And this is what he did with this money. He, he's, he owns a company, it was a jewelry company, and he made the decision to make a deal, get this, with a mayor of a town in Kyrgyzstan. And he said this. Now, it's a Muslim city, uh, Muslim city, Muslim country. He says, if you allow me to open a church in your city, I will open a factory in your city to make jewelry. And the mayor agreed, and he used the resources that he would have been driving around in to open a church in a closed country where it seemed unheard of for the gospel to be presented. And I look at my brother and I say, man, that is so cool. Keep doing that, brother. That's the kind of thing we do. You know what he did? He heard the Lord say this way, John. He said, yes, he made choices. He held his stuff loosely. And in the end result, God's kingdom advanced. But it's not just your stuff, not just the things. It's also people. James and John left daddy on the boat. Now, if your son or daughter, grandson or daughter, came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I feel God is calling me to be a missionary or to be a pastor, what would your attitude be? You know what a lot of attitudes are? You want to be poor? And I say this, these are genuine Christian folks who like, you you want your kid to be okay. You know, whatever happened to that law career we were talking about, whatever happened to becoming a doctor, whatever happened, you know, fill in the list. As a parent, as a grandparent, you can encourage your children, grandchildren, to follow the Lord wherever he leads if your attitude reflects that. So this is two things here. It's Zebedee's attitude, and it's also James and John's attitude. 
But here is the truth at the end of the day. If Jesus is calling us to go somewhere, that is what we need to do. And for most of us, it's not that you're going to become a a missionary necessarily in a formal sense or a pastor in a formal sense, but that God may call you to be outspoken at your job for things that relate to Christ. God may call you to care for poor in in extraordinary ways. It's all about following Jesus wherever he wants us to go. Which brings me now to the next thing I noticed from this passage. And for this time, I want to refer to the ESV translation because I think it captures a little better than the New International that I read. And that's this. He he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. Now, the NIV didn't capture that verb that's going on here. But if you can get this image of God wants to transform us through Jesus Christ to be the kind of people he would have us to be. I'd like to draw your attention to a passage in Jeremiah in which this is talked about. If you can put that next slide on. Jeremiah the prophet writes this, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 4 to 6. But the pot was, uh, the, the referring to a potter, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Now here's a picture of a potter with a potter's wheel molding clay. If you've ever had the chance to do this, it is so cool. You feel the the clay in your hands and you you feel the ripples of the clay. You also can feel the impurities. And you may stop the wheel to take out a piece of straw or or hard dirt or a little pebble that's stuck in the clay because you want that clay to be everything it could be. And you mold it and, and you're making it. That is the image that Jeremiah talks about that God does for us. And Jesus says to his disciples, I will make you, form you, help you become fishers of men. He's going to help us become all kinds of things. How does God do that? How does he mold you? I have to say, sometimes it's not through the most pleasant means. Sometimes, you know what the potter does? He looks at that clay and then smashes it down and starts again, has that ball, and then begins that whole process all over again. How did he do it for his disciples? Do you remember when Jesus is walking on the water? Where are the disciples? They're on a boat. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. And it was Simon Peter who said, ooh, ooh, can I play? Can I play? And so he, Jesus said, come on in. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. Peter is actually going to get in on the water, and he's actually going to get a few steps there and walk on the water. But then he's going to see the wind and the waves, and he's going to start drowning, and Jesus is going to pick him up. Oh, Peter, still have no faith. That whole experience was an example of how God molds us. You go through trials. One of the songs we sing in church He brings us out upon the water. 
Toby Mack, in one of his songs, says, God always places me in situations where the water is over my head. Why is that? He wants us to depend on him, not on ourselves. That's all part of this molding that is taking place. You know what time another? Jesus took them to school? It's recorded in Luke chapter 10. He sends out the 72. And here's what he says. I want you to go out and do the same things I, want, I do. Heal the sick. Preach good news to the poor. And he sends them out. They come back in shock that everything happened the way Jesus said it was going to happen. And we have this word. In fact, it's the only expression in the Gospels where Jesus' emotion is expressed. It says, and Jesus, filled with joy, said to the disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven because you guys were doing what you were supposed to do. What was happening? Jesus was molding them. He was making them into that image that he knew was going to be fruitful. Now, I want you to think for yourself, where is he molding you today? You know what signs that you may be being molded is when you're doing something a little scary. Whenever you find yourself on thin ice, whenever you find yourself not sure if you're going to be able to pay this bill, whenever you find yourself not sure you're going to have that difficult conversation, all those things can be examples of God molding us, making us into the man and woman that he knows that we can be. But I want to follow the man with the sandals. I want to go wherever he leads. And so if he's going to bring me into that situation, I want to be there. I look back at my story I told you of coming back to New York as one of those moments where I thought, Lord, am I willing to go where you lead? I actually set up a litmus test at that time to see if the Lord was really leading me. When I lived in Illinois, I had a house, and uh, we decided to buy a house four miles away, closer to the church I was working at. And so we told our kids. At the time, they were six and eight. And I, I said, hey, Mommy and Daddy, we are going to be uh, aiming to move into this particular house over here. What do you guys think about that? It has bigger rooms. You'll all have your own room. My kids did not want to move under any circumstances because it meant switching schools. So when I prayed with them at night, this is what they prayed. Dear Jesus, may our house never, ever sell until we die. Amen. Because <laughs> they didn't want to move. Fast forward two years, and I said, Lord, a litmus test as to whether I come to New York is my kids. I don't want to traumatize them. I don't know what waits in New York. I don't know what it's going to be like. So that's when I said to my kids, do you, what do you think about moving to New York? Grandma and Grandpa there. And both of them said simultaneously, sounds cool, Dad. And I'm like, wow. Maybe God is leading in this. That even my kids are open to it. All of it, as I look in hindsight, is a moment where I see God was molding me. And he says, Steve, will you follow where I lead? Will you follow? where I lead. And I'm glad to say I did make that step because I saw God do so many amazing things because of taking that step of faith. But ultimately, hold your things and people loosely. Doesn't mean you don't love your people. Doesn't mean we don't appreciate the things we have. Hold them loosely because Jesus may call us to a place where we have to say goodbye. Then the next thing is allow them to mold us. The third thing 
is what did he want to teach these disciples in particular? To become fishers of people. He said, I want you to learn how to draw people to me. And that's our third and final point today, to be a person who is discovering how to fish for people. Have you ever pondered how do you fish for people? Because this is actually a calling for all of us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28. So what would it be for you and I to learn how to fish for people? Somebody came into my office last week with that very same question. Now, we pastors don't get this question a lot, but here's what the person said. They made an appointment. They passionately made this appointment. Pastor Steve, I want to be a better witness for Jesus. How do I do that? I mean, do you have a lot of questions like that, Pastor Nathan? It's like, teach me how to share my faith. I mean, that, he's giving a promotion for Alpha here. We can see right here. But that's perfect. Take them to Alpha. That's, that is great. But in that question, we, we pondered that for a while as to what would be necessary. I told her a couple of my Amtrak stories, because some of you may know, my first third of my life, I worked for Amtrak. I was a, what was called the chief of onboard services. I traveled all over the country. But you know what I always did in my crew briefings? I would always use a scripture verse. For example, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It is a great passenger service principle. So I just gave it to my staff. And they kind of noted that every time Steve had a a, a thought for the day, it always happened to be from the Bible. They were what I called non-religious verses from the Bible. But you know what happened? On a break time, somebody would come up to me and say, Hey, uh, chief, that's what they call me. Hey, chief, do you think there's a heaven? And now I'm on break time. Now I can talk about it and enjoy it. Or when I worked in the office, I'm with 400 other people in this office, and we have different stations where we work each time. I always carried my Bible in my briefcase for one purpose. I would take it out of my briefcase and just put it by my desk. People would come by and say, hey, I'm curious. Do you believe that book? I I said, I do. Can I ask you some questions? I'm having some struggles in my marriage. Those little things opened up opportunities to share. Now, this part of God's work, I absolutely love. Here's the coolest thing about drawing people to Jesus. It's not all on your shoulders. Can you actually lead anybody to Jesus? Not really. It's the Spirit of God who does the heavy lifting. All we do is make ourselves available. And sometimes God can use us in the most surprising ways. So this past April, I was in Nevada. My wife and I have bought a house in the Las Vegas area, and we visit pretty frequently. So in this particular day in April, we went to church. And I I am kind of a church aficionado, a little crazy. I planned on going to three churches on this particular Sunday morning. So I knew of a church that had 8 o'clock service, so I went to that service. I knew of a church that had a 10 o'clock service, and I was going to go to that service. And then my son-in-law was going to be leading worship at the 12 noon service at another church. And so I'm in my journey, and I'm, I finished the first service. I'm now in that second service, and the pastor is preaching. He's a guest pastor, and he is just droning on. 
I mean, ever been in the church where the pastor doesn't have any sense of what time it is? I mean, I can tell you he was preaching on John chapter 20, and I was like looking at my watch, and I'm like, I'm not going to make this 12 noon service. You know, so I'm thinking, I got to sneak out, but I'm a pastor. So I don't want to make an embarrassing scene, you know, like walking out of the church. Church was virtually the same size as this. And so I am, I'm kind of like working my way to the side and just kind of, you know, it's making my way. I go into the foyer. I made it into the foyer. Now I can sneak out. A woman followed me out. And an 85-year-old man with the woman. She was in her 40s and he was 85. And she comes up to me and she goes, Pastor Steve, can I talk to you? Now, I'm in Nevada. How do you even know who I am? This was the first thing. But I had preached at that church last January, and she remembered me. So she comes to me, and this is what she says. Pastor Steve, I don't know what to do with this guy. He's giving us information. My life is hard. I need a word to carry me through this week, and I don't have any word coming from this. And uh, this is where you're in a difficult situation because I don't want to insult the guy who's preaching, and yet I understand what she was saying. He was giving lots of information, but not anything like you really hold on to. And so I said to her, her name was Chrysla. I said, Chrysla, when I have occasionally a sermon that doesn't connect with me, this I know with absolute confidence. The word he is preaching from is inspired by God. So even if he might not be conveying what you need to hear, let's look at that passage, which was John 20, and see what the Lord may be saying to you. And I, I said three times in this passage, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he says it again, peace be with you. And then he says it a third time, peace be with you. Maybe the word of the Lord for you today is that he wants you to know peace. And she starts bawling. And together we prayed in the foyer as I was waving the 12 noon service goodbye at the other church. And that man placed his, that 85-year-old man who came with her, placed his hands on her and together we prayed for her. So I was just out three weeks ago in Nevada. That 85-year-old man came up to me and said, remember when we were in the foyer and you prayed for Chrysla? Right after you left, I said, are you ready to receive Jesus today? I, didn't, I thought she was a believer. She wasn't. She is some, he was a mentor to people coming out of prisons. She is a former convict. She's now released. And he took her under her wing, but she wasn't ready to cross over to the Lord that day. But whatever happened in that interaction brought her to the point where she prayed to receive Jesus Christ. I tell you this story because I'm not the punchline of the story. I was just an instrument to help bring this person to the next step. But ultimately, it was someone else who helped her cross the line. And this is part of learning to draw people to Jesus. If you can put that slide in the screen that mentions about following Jesus, it has three scriptures on it, um, that's the one. John, Jesus says in John 13, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. For all of us, here is our goal. It's to follow the one who wears the sandals, to learn from him how we are to do, to allow ourselves to be molded by him, to hold things loosely, to hold people loosely, and in the end, discover how he brought people into relationship. Do you remember when he went and he met at a woman at a well? Remember the beginning of the conversation? Can you get me some water? That's a simple, innocuous statement that was going to lead to this woman running into town saying, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? You look at Jesus' interactions and you say, they started so simply and ended so profoundly. So, I have a souvenir for you today. Yes, I do. Because I am so magnanimous and my heart is so filled with love. So, Harry, if you could help me for a second. I am going to hand out to every one of you today a sandal keychain. A sandal keychain. Now, why? Because here's the goal. I want to give you a handle to share your faith. So you're eating lunch with a friend. You just go out for lunch. You know what you do? Take your keys, put them on the table. And let's just say the person says, why do you have a sandal on your keychain? And your answer might be, well, I, I'm thinking of going on vacation. I mean, that's what they're probably going to think of. You know, you love beaches. But you have a different line. Say, the truth is, I follow the one who wears the sandals. Who's that? I want to tell you about Jesus. He really makes the difference. And you know what? Something that Pastor Jack taught me, which is so cool. This is how you share your faith. This, by the way, is what you could call a fishing lure. It's a lure. You know, just put it in the water, see if anyone, you know, bites on it. But if somebody bites on it, then you say, I follow the one who wears the sandals. And now here's the way Pastor Jack would teach it. This is the simplest, simplest way to share your faith. It's called three-story evangelism. Three-story evangelism. Here's the first one. You think of it as a circle. This is your story. Every one of us have a story. For example, I could tell somebody about how when I was 16, I felt God was leading me to become a pastor. Well, that's kind of interesting. People are curious about that. Anyway, that's my story. The person you're talking to at the diner, they have a story. And whatever their story is, I grew up in a broken home, I work for this company, but everyone has a story. Now I want you to think that both of these stories are connected because we're sitting here at lunch. But God has a story. And that third story intersects with the other two stories, and that's the gospel, is that God loved you so much that he sent his one and unique son, Jesus to die that we might have life. Well, what does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it means for me. And you know what? The woman who came into my office last week, she said, Steve, sometimes I feel like I don't have the words in my mind. And I said, but you probably can say this. Come to church with me. Or if Pastor Nathan would say, come to Alpha and see for yourself because this journey that we're on is the best journey. Is it? the way of surrender, 
Absolutely. But it's surrendering to the one who knows us best and has a life of adventure. So, to recap, hold your stuff loosely. Hold the people in your life loosely. Allow Jesus to mold you, which means there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some times where you step out and start sinking like Peter. But remember, there's going to be a hand that picks you up and you will learn and discover what it means to trust in the Lord. And finally, it's our job to let other people know the hope that we have inside of us, that there is a Savior that saves sinners like you and me, that give us hope in this dark world. And we're going to pray right now that we would know this hope. Father, I thank you that you've given us a very simple scripture where you say, follow me. But in it, some things really stand out. And now, Lord, it's time for us to look introspectively as to what we need to work on, what we need to be ready for on this adventure of life. Father, it's our prayer that we will learn this principle of surrender, to follow the man who wears the sandals wherever he goes. And in the end, may we have the opportunity to see men and women, students, become followers also, Now, Lord, I have one other appeal here. If there's anyone in this room who has never entered into a living relationship with your son, Jesus, let them realize this is the moment. This is the time. How do you do it? It's really, really simple. You just acknowledge that you are a sinner. You do not live up to God's standards. That's pretty easy for most of us to acknowledge. But then acknowledge that Jesus died for sinners like us. And that if we but believe that Jesus died for our sins and that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10. So, Father, receive us now into your kingdom. And we pray in the end, your son Jesus will receive all the honor and glory in whose name we pray. Amen. We come now to the time of worshiping God with our giving. And uh, if you call